0: What's good, fam? It is the Rasul Show podcast. I think I've done that a few times before in that intro. So Rudy, can you, uh, keep me in line with that? Cause I don't want to make that a catchphrase. Yeah. Fam's like kind of going out too. So I don't oh, know. Oh, well, I don't care. Okay. I mean, keep it going. Do your thing. Yeah, okay. No I don't, I don't think I, I'm not doing it thinking it's awesome. So it's like or, your Instagram page or well, that would mean that that the theory being that the Instagram page is who I really want to be and that I actually want to say what's up fam and think i sound cool Is that yeah that's name? a that's a deep smallman theory which i deep have smallman. sort of started to get on that on board there you really actually want to talk about your life and like listen you're living in la now like things are cool you got a lot of cool picture opportunities you haven't know people places must be hard for you i haven't yeah so i didn't even think about that okay all right yeah so I just don't want to do What a Fam every week. I don't think we should do that. Here's what we're going to do, though. We're going to do a big Tarico discussion, a little bit on the Harbaugh stuff, because I have a massive Harbaugh and then college coach segment overall that kind of starts with the premise of I don't know. But we'll do a lot of NFL with Tarico. so that's kind of the plan here. But I do want to start just a little bit off the top on the college, um, the college stuff that I saw from the weekend. You know what? I'm just going to put all of that in the end, all right? So I'm, I'm doing this on the fly. I want to do just a quick thought on some of the NFL contracts because for years it always felt like everybody was rooting against the player, and yet what I've seen now is that everyone's just going, hey... Pay everyone. Pay everyone. Pay Aaron Donald. Okay, well, it's pretty clear what Aaron Donald was asking for was quite a bit and that he didn't want to be involved in any of the preseason. And when it came down to kind of the last available day, guess what happened? Aaron Donald got a huge, massive contract. And was it the precedent-setting thing? In a way, it was. In a way, it wasn't. Because he wanted to get paid as much as some of the quarterbacks or more than some of the other quarterbacks. But he still got an awesome, massive deal. And at that time, before the Khalil Mack deal with the Bears, like he was the highest guaranteed money and then Khalil Mack and that deal gets done and all I kept seeing at least in the media and I wonder sometimes too if it is this media bubble that is leaning left at times and is very pro player but again it just felt like for years everyone was anti-player everybody kept saying oh just go ahead and play like I can't believe this like who cares like why do you have to get every little dollar why are you so selfish and there has been a shift and a shift that I think although I've kind of Been wondering where it was because for such a long time I've been so pro player. When it comes to the CBA stuff, it's just a matter of how bad you're going to lose, to what extent you're going to lose. And I would always defend the player on the show. And I'd go, this thing's messed up and this is messed up and the owners are trying to chip away here and the owners making up this thing. And I was always so pro player. But now it's pro player to the point where everybody's like, dude, just pay him. Dude, just pay him. Just pay him. Pay the man. Pay. And and I would see all these things on Twitter, and Le'Veon Bell's another one. Just pay him. Just pay him. Well, Le'Veon Bell, if you're asking to be paid more than a running back and wide receiver combined at a position at running back that we don't value, and I don't think we should value as much as we did 5, 10, 15 years ago, then that's really more of a Le'Veon Bell thing. Of course the Rams thought Aaron Donald was good and wanted to pay him. And guess what? He got paid. Are you telling me that this contract was never even close? The one that he got, it was a last minute panic thing by the Rams or Donald didn't want to play in the preseason? I think the, the Raiders thing is more specific. As Mort told us on this podcast, that when you're having to move all the guaranteed money into an escrow account and that if the Raiders are cash poor, if you have 200 million in the bank, do you really want to have to transfer 70 million? Do you want to write that check, hit enter on your computer? Put that through to your financial guy as a wire. I've never done a seven, $70 million wire, so I don't know what that's like, but you know, you know the deal. If you're putting a house, you know, in escrow and you call the guy up, like, do you really want to do that even if you have 200 million? And Mort was so adamant and specific about it that that report actually got trashed by other people on NFL network kind of just doing this eye roll of like, you think these NFL teams are poor? Well, if the owner himself is only liquid to a certain point and doesn't want to do that 70 million, then I think there's a possibility it was true. Like people just, oh, these NFL teams, oh, they just got this check, oh, they just got this check. There's operating costs, they're taxed, there's different things. Like, I do think the NFL, the great thing about the contracts, despite that it's not great for the player, even though there's so much guaranteed money in this stuff that it's almost guaranteed contracts for those top tier guys anyway. So it's a semantics thing. It's the rest of the guys getting screwed. But, um, you know, the NFL is, I always feel like you can do any acquisition if you really want to. Okay. The NBA, you can't do that. Baseball in a way you can. But with the movement in the NFL, even though there isn't a lot of it, when you have a team that just decides to move on from Khalil Mack, like there's other teams and it sounded like there were six or seven that were serious about it. You go, okay, this is a ton of money. It's a ton of guaranteed money, but we can, we can still do this. We can do it. And the funny thing about the Raiders deal is that when the report came out that they wanted two first for Khalil Mack, everybody started laughing at the Raiders. And then guess what? They got the two first. And yes, there was a switch on the two mid round picks that Gruden oddly said he wasn't aware of, and that thing, you can already see the writing on the wall with Gruden and McKenzie and, and how that's all going to go down, but I would rather just keep maybe the second best defensive player in the league, and if you're telling me, well, you can't pay that much guaranteed, you can't have Carr and and Mac make that much, well, stop me if you've ever heard me say this before, but as more pointed out, with the new deals looming, the cap is going to go up, and by the way, the cap has gone up so much, and it hasn't had its massive NBA spike of thirty percent out of nowhere. But look at how it's tracked in the last five years. Like the cap goes up enough where in the NFL and the non guaranteed stuff for the majority of your roster, like you should be able to pull off some of this flexibility. So uh I, I find it interesting in that my position of always kind of sticking up for players has now been Has, I don't want to say it's been mimicked because this isn't something like, oh, I was first on this. Like, because I'm definitely guilty of that on some stuff, but like, that's not what I'm doing here. But now it feels like everyone in the media is just star player, contract isn't done, public consensus, just go pay him. Just go, no, no, you just go pay him because he's good. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't. I think each, each individual s- instance is very, Le'Veon Bell's situation is different than Aaron Donald's situation. It was different than Khalil Mack's situation. And we know the quarterbacks ultimately are always going to get their money. Like I have a friend who may be a socialist. He's actually maybe a communist. Okay. Because anybody, and look, there's some socialist principles that I would say, Oh, that's interesting. And boy, that'd be great if it could work. Like that would be kind of cool, but. And you know, whenever you were arguing against the player, you were really only arguing that you wanted the anonymous owner who are less anonymous now, but you just wanted them to make more. So I have this one friend who's who's theorized on our emails that you know what would be great is if everybody like, no one really needs more than forty or fifty thousand dollars a year. And I was like, I do. I actually want more than forty or fifty thousand dollars a year. And you would be like, well, you know, Ryan, that's a youth thing. You don't even have a family, materialistic and that kind of stuff. You're like, no, 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 no. What I do I think is more valuable than a forty or $50,000 a year. And we can get into the whole teacher debate, but like – the difference is, is the thing, whenever it's a teacher should be paid this and teachers should be, teachers are super, super important. But I also know like half the teachers I know wanted the summers off. Okay. And more people can become teachers than can become say a pro athlete. That's not anti teacher. If you have a hard problem or like you have a hard time with that statement, then we're never going to get along. Okay. It's not fundamentally like you'd like it to be. We all hug each other and say stuff like teachers are so, important. the impressions that they make on the youth and the next generation. All of those things are accurate, but it's, Way easier to be a che- uh, a teacher than it would be to be a middle, middle linebacker. So my friends always argued like, oh, no, no, you know, you, no one needs to make more money than this. No one needs, to... and I just go, so you want, you want the owners, you want, and this is weird, but like, you want Disney to make even more. You want no one on air to ever make six figures. You want Disney to just make more because that's really what you're saying. And that's what you were saying if you were anti-player all the time on different contracts. Some of these socialist things are like, oh, okay, you know, that'd be kind of cool. But then I go, oh, free college for everybody? And if you start doing a real deep dive on, like, college expenses and how much that's blown up versus just straight inflation, it's horrifying stuff. And then you're like, wait a minute, why would a college cost this much? How is it possible that it's still, like, it's doubled since just 20 years from when I graduated? Is that real? Is that real inflation? Because that doesn't seem to add up. And any of the stuff that you would read on that, it doesn't add up. But then you'll read that faculties have have grown and that payouts to administrators have blown up. And you're going, oh, so basically it's a little bit like – college football and that all of these schools are making more money and I'm not saying making more of a profit but bringing in more revenue but they're finding ways to spend it more and more on these coaching salaries that I'll get into later at the end of the podcast and all the expenses to keep up the facilities and all these things. they're going okay we're going to charge in a way a lot more but we're going to make sure that all of this other stuff's good and that the money's being spent it's kind of like that office episode where there's a surplus and Michael goes and spends it on a coat at Burlington Co-Factory and whenever I hear this stuff, it's like, oh, school should be free. Like, yeah, that'd be great. Who's paying for it? I want free health care. Okay, great. Who's paying for it? Because that's the stuff when you get in, into it and, and you'll have this friend and you go, you know what? That'd be a great, the world that you're envisioning, that would be really great. It'd be great if every kid right now, junior high and high school could say, I'm going to go to college for free because it's just going to be free. And then nobody ever wants to do the math on it. Nobody ever wants to do the math on like, who's paying for it? Well, at least this case, it's a little more simple with the NFL guys. I got a little, I don't think that was political, Saruti. I think that was just a little, I'm a little econed up here. I'm a little, I'm finance guy after yesterday and the dopes trying to tweet because Nike was down two to 3% for the day that there was some sort of correlation to Kaepernick. I assume if you sent out that tweet, one, you've never bought a stock or pay attention to the stock market. And I'm not exactly gecko over here. Okay. But we've made some moves during the day, a little day trading phase there with Canel and I. Um, but. You you either have never owned a stock or you are so desperate to sell a message that you don't even care that your message is inaccurate, and that's kind of what I think I saw from people yesterday on Nike stock being down because of Kaepernick. Assess. Well, that's what it is from both sides, though. Like everybody wants to grab whatever headline makes their point right, whether it's you know you're pro or anti Kaepernick, and that's what we see on Twitter or any social media platform yesterday. So it's just annoying to even be around. But you're right; like those guys have no idea what finance is all about. And they could have done a little bit more research and seen that Adidas and Puma were also down like two to three percent. There we right? go. Right. So like, I'm, I'm like not Gordon echo either, but like, it's yeah. not that hard to figure this stuff out, guys. Millennial Lib. And the other guys that were saying like later in the day be like, uh, excuse me, Rossillo, uh, buying opportunity here. Okay. Guess what? You go ahead and screen grab your order of how many shares of Nike you're buying at 70, 80 bucks a share. What is it? Let me, let me double check at the time of the tape. So we're at 80 bucks a share right now. Okay. So. <laughs> like, as soon as you send that tweet to me, that tells me even more you don't even know what you're doing. Because if you're day trading, okay, and unless you are buying heavy volume and you think you're gonna make back that 3% the next day, then good for you for having those kinds of stones. But you would be probably scared off if you were a day trader to even buy Nike on a 3% dip without paying attention. Be like, okay, what if, what if this is the delayed thing? What if it's the next day? Like, you wouldn't even want to probably open yourself to that kind of risk. For, by the way, a 3% buying opportunity. So people that don't understand market cap and, oh, they lost 3 billion. These guys lose so much on paper up and down every single day based on their worth. Like, you don't, under, you just, and it was weird too because it was some, it was some smart people arguing on the other side. And then honestly, like, the left, and I would say the right were arguing the Nike stock thing and you just go, you guys sound like idiots. And then there were some people on the left like going, oh, burning Nikes, huh? Here we go. And you go, dude, how many people are really doing it? And the thing is, I actually want a total. I want a total. Cause if it's not in the thousands, it's irrelevant. It's just a, a dope burning his shoes. And there's a few guys that did that, that. They're more, but then it's like, Hey, look at me on the left. I will show, oh, America's a mess. You're like, no, an idiot has a, has a, camera phone and he burns some old school hirachis all right let's talk to mike Tarico. but first a message from dollar shave club okay you guys know i like this club we've been doing stuff with them for a long time they send me the box every month so yeah i'm biased but i'm also biased because the stuff is good right and people go hey rusillo oh company line at espn pointing out the nike stock No, no no the company i work for is called truth And the truth is that Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready in the bathroom. They own the bathroom. It's more than just razors. You've got shower gel. They've got this like balsa wood, or no, it's cedar wood. Balsa would be, would seem weird, but cedar wood, this, this awesome facial thing. They're, shave kits like there's a bunch of different shave kits the shave butter uh, you guys have heard me talk about all this stuff all of it's really good and it kind of smells good and it smells like hey wait a minute did you go to the mall did you go to a fancy mall and not in Waterbury and buy this facial scrub for 40 bucks you're like no i got it from dollar shave club it comes every month dollar shave club yes that dollar shave club delivers everything you need to look feel and smell your best you name it shampoo conditioner body wash toothpaste hair gel even a wipe that'll leave your tush feely uh tingly clean I'm a big fan of the Amber and Lavender Calming Body Cleanser. I also do like the wipes. Never smelled anything like it. Good luck finding a product that great at the store. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. You'll feel the difference. Plus, shipping is free with your membership. Here's the way to get involved in this whole thing. With Dollar Shave Club's products for just $5, you can get their daily essential starter set. It comes with body cleanser, one-wipe Charlie's, their amazing butt wipes, their world-famous shave butter, and their best razor. That's the six-blade executive. You don't even have to be in middle management or higher to buy it. Keep the blades Coming for just a few bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need, check it all out, dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan. You know what? Go ahead, at Ryan Aversillo on Twitter. If you have an issue with anything from Dollar Shave Club, hit me up directly. That's how confident I am in this brand. I don't think I've ever done that with a company before, but I just do really like these guys. Again, dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. My parents put an E in it. I apologize. Okay, we all watched, and you know, going in, I, I think it really was more about... What Michigan is and, and who they'll be. And I've been a, a big Harbaugh supporter, defender, um, a big part of the, the podcast today, but just seeing it all play out, Mike, like give me your sense of not only living in the state, although you do, you've done this in the past and I want to make sure all of our, our listeners know this. You're a Syracuse guy first. Um, right. and, and it's certainly like, right. That's your school, but, but I mean, you, you have a great understanding and then on top of everything else covering it. So like just give me your sense yeah. of this whole thing.
1: So I, I really want to pump the brakes just a little bit because you remember two years ago, Ryan Notre Dame played at Texas. I think the scoring ended fifty to forty-seven in overtime. It's a big dramatic game. Uh, and Brian Curtis did his article on Joe Tess on the Ringer. Uh, and uh, Texas you know, is it, back, it, folks. Yeah, yeah I mean, we Texas, right. And. And Texas won four games that year in Notre Dame or maybe five and Notre Dame wasn't any good. You know, uh, they won, they were four and 18. And I always kind of remind people of that because don't take week one and make these ridiculous broad pronouncements off of week one, uh, more than any sport, you don't know what teams have coming back. College and injury really changes the, the deal. So let well, just just put that as the, the foundation for the conversation. I don't think Michigan is going to be a bad team this year. I think they'll be a good team. And that might not be eleven and one. It might be ten and two, nine and three, depending on then what happens in a bowl game, because of Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Nebraska on the schedule. Hell, we haven't seen Nebraska yet. Okay. So so we don't know how those five teams are gonna be. I'm thinking three of them are gonna be pretty good. I think Notre Dame's pretty good too. While Notre Dame doesn't have The studs or the reputation in terms of NFL draft projected guys that Michigan does, their defense was good last year. They felt good about it going in, and they played a really good game. I think Michigan's offense will get better if, here's the big if, if they change their mentality just a little bit. If you go back to watch the game again, you watch their second drive down the field, Nice drive. Shea Patterson boots on the outside, throwing the ball, throws it on time, gets it out. That's going to make the running game even better between the tackles. So I think there's a hybrid there of spread look and line up with a fullback look that Michigan can be a hard team to defend because there'll be variety. Uh, So I think there's something there. I wouldn't walk away from that game and say, oh, my God, Michigan, what a disappointment. I mean, it's overreaction week one. I, in my gut, think they're going to be okay.
0: I'm a Harbaugh guy because I defend the resume. Like to me, it's so simple. You go, you know, this is one thing. If Harbaugh had played there and was an assistant somewhere else or coached mm-hmm. at a non-power five, and then you're like, okay, now he got the job because he's a Michigan man. The resume right. is—you can't dispute the resume. And then, you know, now it's—I feel like he's being treated like a guy who's only gone seven and five or seven and six in his first few years mm-hmm. and, and has never done any of the things that he's done. And and I, I just. You know, you have those moments as a guy that talks for a living doing sports. You're like, how could so many other people be so wrong about this? Or at least, you know, maybe I'm the guy that's wrong.
1: Well, Ryan, let's just start with this. Personnel-wise, he has brought better players to Michigan than were there before he got there. And that's not disrespecting the guys who were there. Peppers was a good player. There's group guys around that era that were good players. I think the depth of player, the quality of player the guys who are waiting in the wings, I think the talent upgrade is significant, okay? Um, here's the one question, and you're right. The resume is good. Go back to University of San Diego, not San Diego State, University of San Diego, and then Stanford, and then the 49ers, and now Michigan, at no place more than four years, but in each place a significant upgrade and impact. So the question I have about this, has football changed to where, line it up, and run, play 37 tight ends, cannot be championship-level football. Alabama adjusted. Alabama made the offensive metamorphosis a few years ago to get more spread and to do more things. I know they had Julio Jones, but Julio Jones wasn't used the way even Calvin Ridley was used. So I, I think I they've agree. grown yeah. offensively. Look at Tua, look at the bowl, look at the championship game. The Alabama, you know, Nick is brilliant, like Belichick and like Parcells. And although they love their defense, they figure out pretty quick, you know what, we got to start scoring 25 or 35 here to win some of these games. And they've gone and done it. Can Michigan get out of the mentality of line up and be physical and mix that with we need to have dynamic edge playmakers impact the game? And I I don't know if their wide receiving core is deep enough right now to do that, but they're going to have to start to get there. And I think that's where the question is going to be, can Harbaugh sustain the success that he's had in the other places. That would be a fascinating thing for me to watch this year with Shay Patterson and over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, because that's the thing is that he actually was the quarterback whisperer. And right. you even felt like even if he didn't have the top guys coming in, he'd figure it out. And, you know, it's a great point by Saban, too, because I remember him kind of saying as they were transitioning, like, this is what you want, right? Like, this is what we all want to do now? Okay. All right. like." Okay. Here we go then. And, you know, when people talk about Bama now saying like, oh, look at this dynamic offense. They've had dynamic offenses before. I'm actually a little bit more worried about their defense, but they're going to score 40 plus, 50. I mean, the, the receivers right. who we don't know yet, they're, they're deep. It, it's, it's incredibly talented. I mean, Bama always has these running backs where I'm like, oh, wait, he's still on the team? You know, you're <laughs> like, oh, I, fr- I forgot about him. He's that five star linebacker. From Starkville, that they they switched over. And, you know, look, I just I picked Starkville out of yeah. nowhere, but well, I know um, what you're saying. It's it is like there's these are like real like macro questions about it. Like when I watch McCaffrey, because I think like you get Patterson, you go, okay, we get a five star kid. You understand his backstory that he actually was a Michigan fan. He ends up down mm-hmm. at Ole Miss. He's a five star kid. You take the five star transfer, especially when he's eligible Im- immediately after the Ole Miss thing, and then I'll admit, like I had moments where I go. I don't know, is McCaffrey going to be a better fit here? Because stylistically, Patterson is a bad fit for what Harbaugh has always done at all of his stops.
1: Right, right. Like like you see McCaffrey come in the game and you go, okay, I've seen this, I've seen Henney, I've seen Gerbach, I've seen Drew Henson, I saw Brady, I've, I've seen a bunch of these guys. This looks like the Michigan quarterback prototype. Patterson is a little different. Patterson, I even said in the open, you got a little bit of that Doug Foodie. Hey get out and throw. One of the coaches said, hey, you know, When we see Patterson in practice, when he's been rolling it, it's a little bit like a Baker Mayfield. He said, it's not Baker Mayfield, but it's that type of energy, passion, out of the pocket in play. That is culturally different from Michigan football. Now, how culturally different? If you think of Denard Robinson, you think of the Rich Rodriguez days, Devin Gardner, that was also a different prototype of quarterback. But Michigan, which produced all those quarterbacks that I mentioned and then Skype, Driesbach and a couple others, for a whole bunch of years, you know, in the last ten years, only Jake Rudock, a Lions backup, a sixth round pick, now on their practice squad, has gone from Michigan quarterback to the NFL as a quarterback. Denard Robinson was a kick returner slash a bunch of stuff with Jacksonville didn't pan out. So yeah, right, you are it's, looking it's, at a you're looking at a different era and a different time. That position hasn't been filled, and that's why when you saw McCaffrey, I thought the same thing. If he would have stayed in longer, I was going to make that point. He kind of fits the central casting role of, close your eyes, imagine a Michigan quarterback. Oh, that guy, Yeah, that, that looks exactly like the part. It'll be fascinating to watch that play out as the year goes on. But I still think Patterson's a guy to take them to a different offensive place and to a place where they will be more dynamic and can score 30 in a game against a good team.
0: I want to switch over to the NFL because I I you know I'm doing this this whole college football coaching thing so I don't want to make it all um college here. But when you sure. were transitioning out of like, you know, the the stat is five or six new playoff teams on each side. And it's such an impossible exercise. And I do it before every year and I'm like, "Well, this will be the year where there can't be six new teams." And it is. It is every single time. Exactly. Um, what was the thing you would notice whether it was production meetings, your own prep um and as you mm-hmm. get ready for this season, where you go, these are things that I've always pay attention to, trying to figure out which teams can keep that success going and which teams it feels like the window is closed.
1: I, I think it's harder now because I think there's more change at the roster spot 15 through 35 level in the NFL than there used to be. The bottom third of the roster always churns. We know that. The top guys you try to hang on to, if you have a great player, usually you hang on to him. Rarely does the great player switch switch teams The great great player that next group of guys gets a little transient sometimes and where does that where's that held where's that stayed that's one of the places also the teams that were on the come at the end of last year uh I, we had a thursday night game two years ago i, I did the game with collinsworth we do eagles giants and the giants were a win away from getting to the playoffs and I remember as we're doing the, you know, the opening, sometimes you remember those, sometimes you forget. I remember saying to Chris, Chris, this is a Philadelphia team. I don't know if their record was four and nine, four and 10, but they're starting to put some pieces together around Carson Wentz. And we left there feeling like this is a team on the come. Now, did I remember that at the start of last season? No. Did I think they were going to get to the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But that's what they were, you know, at the end of the 2016 season. So look at that, and the one team that – two teams intrigue me in that regard this year. One is San Francisco. Was the five at the end with Garoppolo real? Have they gotten better? Do they have a defense to, to play at that level and be in those games and win those games? I kind of believe in them. The other one is the Chargers. We know that they did a sprint at the end. Maybe we forgot how bad the kicking situation was and that kept them really from winning their division. I I kind of feel like the Chargers are one of those teams in the AFC that I would feel the strongest will be one of that group of five, like you said, that weren't in the party last year.
0: San Francisco's a tough one for me and, and I I love this transition as as I've touched on in the pod today, but the transition of just pay every player. Like I don't feel like that's the way the public treated pro athletes. And now it feels like or maybe it's just this media bubble that we're in. Um but it's Like, Garoppolo, at the time of his contract, becomes the highest paid player in the history of the league on average annual salary. And he played five games. And everybody was like, good, good deal. That's good. Lock him up. I'm thinking, my God, wow, what a transition. And I'll, I'll agree with you because despite the fact that in, in the seven starts, he's had probably four games where he absolutely lit it up. He was great against Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those, they beat the Bears, the Rams mailed it in at the end, week 17. You know, they did beat Jacksonville. Um, They beat a Tennessee team that was fighting still there a little bit. But I've always felt like with some of the young quarterbacks, and I feel like with Deshaun, where I'm a little, you know, let's see here, I always feel like there's a bit of a correction on the young guy. It's almost like the pitcher the second time you get to face him. Like, I always feel like pitchers, Major League Baseball, it's such a preparatory sport now that you're actually more likely to do awful against a rookie pitcher you've never seen before, and then you get to see him a second time. And I think that happens with some of the young quarterbacks, and that's why – Maybe Garoppolo's great, and there's a piece in the Ringer about his hip thrusting and how rare his mechanics are, and that that's why he's so amazing. And Shanahan and and Lynch were like, "Done, we want him." I think Sage Rosenfels is the guy working with him, being like, "It's rare actually that people create such torque," and he's one of those dudes. Maybe I would imagine they're seeing something completely different than me as somebody who didn't play and all that stuff. But I I'm not doubting it's 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 not even negativity. It's just simple like well, I need to see a little bit more before I'm ready to sign off on all this stuff, mm-hmm. and I don't even yep. know how talented the rest of that roster is for Garoppolo.
1: Well, that, that, that's there are a couple of things you bring up. I, I agree with you regarding that, that uh, you don't know the depth. of you know, How many other 49ers are people thinking, okay, this team is going to be, this player will be at a, let's say, Pro Bowl level, but he'll be one of the top 10 guys at his position or even one of the top five guys in the NFC at his position this year. And I always like the exercise. I, I started this a couple years ago. I was fascinated by my first, how do I start preparing for calling? I'm, I'm going to miss calling games a lot this year. But I always thought about, okay, if I'm going to call a game, how do I want to start preparing? Well, you know, it's you get caught up in the minutia of, you know, the long snapper had this, or the, the punter is, you know, terrific at directional or this or that. You get so caught up in that, sometimes you forget what's the big story. And the big story to me is always, who has the best players? So the exercise is at some point in the middle of the week, I just push everything away and go, okay, make a list. Who are the five best players on this team? When you start doing that around the league, you kind of get a sense of, okay, you know, they've got three of the best players in their team on offense. or They've got these guys on defense. And I say that with San Francisco because... Richard Sherman at the end of last year with injury wasn't Richard Sherman. If he's going to be a starting quarterback on this te- corner on this team, is he ready to play at that level? And has he pushed aside anybody else who's good enough up front? You know, who who are their guys? They've got a first round pick in Armstead. They got a first round pick in uh, DeForest Buckner. Is, he, he was a one, yeah. So so they've got a couple of guys there up front on the offensive line. Joe Staley still going. The guy on the right side, the right tackle, who I saw a lot at Notre Dame, Mike McGlinchey, was a number nine overall pick. I believe in that dude. Um, so the guys protecting Jimmy G will give him a chance to succeed. Who's running the football? Who, who is going to be the guy who gets the lion's share of 200, 250 carries for that team this year? Are they good enough with uh, Matt Burrito, Alfred Morris in there to be that kind of team? You know, I was – I, I, that's why I pump the brakes on them more than, okay, they've got a really good quarterback. So let's watch that with great interest over the first month of the season to see really how good is this team and where is their growth? Because their five best players probably don't stack up with the five best players on a lot of the other NFC teams going into the season.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it with the D-line because Armstead, and, and I actually like Buckner better probably at Oregon than I did at Armstead. Um even though I feel huh. like Armstead got more of the hype and then, you know, Solomon Thomas yeah. and all that stuff, but it's such a great exercise. And, you know, one of the reasons I've always, like, there's, there's plenty of reasons why I think you're great. So I don't want to turn this into a Tinder profile here, but, uh, I was going through depth charts yesterday because I've, I've been trying to talk myself out of one of my favorite sports illustrator guys, Andy Benoit. I was, I was thinking mm-hmm. about who I want to pick for the Super Bowl and I was like, I might go, I might go Atlanta. Because, you know, it, I, usually I want to trust the quarterback thing, despite some of the fluky quarterback stuff that we've seen at the Super Bowl uh the last few years, whether it's Foles, um, and you can go back to Flacco, which is clearly, like, fluky now, um, right. and it right. happens, right? So it happens, and then yeah. so, like, I'll usually, the, the tiebreaker to me is, like, well, I like Matt Ryan more than those other guys, and, and I do like Matt Ryan. But when I went through Minnesota's depth chart yesterday, mm-hmm. I, I kept coming back to it, like, I'm not the biggest Cousins guy, but... Between Thielen and Diggs and Cook coming back, you like their offensive line, and then I've buried the lead because every time you start looking at it, you're like, oh, they have Sheldon Richardson to go with Limbaugh Joseph now? You're like, oh, wait, they have Kendrick's Nbar bar at linebacker? Oh, wait, they have the best safety tandem? Oh, wait, they have Xavier Rhodes and Waynes who actually did look like he got a little bit better, and then they have another corner that they just spent a first-rounder on? It's hard to talk yourself out of Minnesota with all because the, de- the depth chart thing that you're talking about i don't know how many other depth charts stack up with
1: them no i i'm with you and i i'll, I'll tell you I'll, I'll give you a total you know uh, podcast type only sidebar um you know, for for dads you know and one of the great things about title nine and so many girls and then young women playing and staying in sports is that dads and daughters have a lot of sports conversations now um My my daughter's a big sports fan. She's in high school. She's a big sports fan. And we're driving back from vacation. And she said to me, you know, it feels like all the quarterbacks are kind of changing. Like, you know, all the older guys are either really old or, you know, all these young guys are going to be the next stars of the league. And so we started doing that exercise and that got me down the rabbit hole of looking at two deeps and all of that. And one I kind of agree with her because it's going to be Darnold and it's going to be Mayfield sooner than later. And Deshaun Watson and you know Bortles is only his fifth year in the league and Mariota and Mahomes. That's half the AFC right No, right there. And then you can go do the rest of the story on your own. With guys like Trubisky and Goff and Jimmy G like we're talking about. But then when you spend time starting to look at rosters, that, that's where I kind of hit on that. Boy, look at how many guys in the 15 to 35 phase of rosters moved. And then look at where teams are really good. And that Minnesota one stuck out at me, uh, uh, stuck out for me a little bit. Um, probably when you trying to separate Harris in the NFC, because you're thinking, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, they're going to win 10, 11 games, which says more about Aaron Rodgers than it does the Packers' level of talent and depth. Minnesota's going to be hard to beat for anybody in that division and anybody in the NFC. And, and so here's the question for you. New Orleans goes and gets Teddy Bridgewater and they trade him for a, a three, right? A, thir- a third round pick. Yeah. Okay. So does that mean New Orleans says, here's a guy who in three years and having our system, we love everything about him and he can be the next quarterback after Drew is done, if Drew is done in a couple of years? Or are they saying, we're really close? We like our team so much, we're really close that if something does happen to Drew, We want a quarterback who can save a couple of games or do what Minnesota and Philadelphia did last year, have their number two continue to carry the team. There aren't many teams that have a high-quality backup like that, and that's why in addition to San Francisco and the teams we're talking about, you mentioned Minnesota, New Orleans is also one of those teams, and I think uh, you've seen them invest on the defensive side of the ball in the draft a little bit. And there could be some growth there if that secondary comes back and is strong and they get linebacker play like they did. And I don't know what that report's going to become their first round pick, uh, but that's a team too, Ryan, that I'm really fascinated of. Okay. I, I believed in you last year. Now I feel like you've got a lot of pieces there and a quarterback who can win at the drop of the hat. I'm starting to like your roster the more I look at it and, uh, I'm, I'm having a tough time separating New Orleans and Atlanta for who's my NFC South winner this year. And I guess I'm running out of time because the season starts very soon.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we're supposed to... If you want to throw out a Super Bowl pick with me here at the, at the end of this, we're going to go ahead and do, do it. Okay. Or I'm going to do good. it. Or, but, uh, yeah, New Orleans is is tightened up the defense there more. It's it's a really good question about Bridgewater. I feel like people just really fell in love with him. I mean, I, I in a way, Bridgewater went from, hey, wow, he can play. But it was, it was stability. Like when you're a franchise that doesn't have stability at that position for a while, just providing you stability and knowing, Hey, guess what? On Sunday, we know who's going to play quarterback and he's not going to lose the game for us every week. Then you can almost yeah. become <laughs> overrated a little. And Bridgewater's stats weren't overwhelming in the beginning. Um, but it was, it was again that stability thing that I'm talking about. So but then felt, he gets, like
1: he was on the verge of a breakthrough year. That, that was the thing. Remember when he got hurt. Everybody here has a really good preseason. Yep. He came off of – and people felt like he was going to be there. I, I, I'll, I'll sidebar with you real quick. I was on a radio show in Atlanta, I think, earlier this week, and the guys were talking about you know Carson Wentz and this Philly rushing back. And I said, look, you take all the time you can until you're so medically sure Carson Wentz is safe to get back – as safe as you can be to get back on the field. That's when you come back. Because even if it, it's the two or three games that cost you the season – That doesn't matter. You want this guy for down the road. And I made the point. look, think about when you know I've got the guy. Do you know the New Orleans Saints for the last decade and the New England Patriots for the last decade plus and those obvious teams, Atlanta, they have not sat in the draft room and go, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Do we take this guy or that guy? He played against this competition. He only had one good game uh, at, at, when he was at Memphis. So, like, all, all these things, like Denver is in this just, you know, um, roadrunner-type, moving of the seat, frantic search for their next quarterback.
0: If Denver had anything he, remotely average, average production yes. at that position with the defensive talent that they've had, uh, I mean, there's there's some arguments to be made. Like, they've had some of the worst quarterback play imaginable. Yes, and yes. I, I look, you're – You're right. I mean, if a third rounder solves your quarterback problem for the next five years, forget 10 and Teddy Bridgewater post-Breeze, then it's worth all of it. I mean, look, the world fell in love with Bridgewater during this preseason. I think a lot of that is that we are sympathetic, and his injury was so terrible, and apparently guys vomiting and watching it happen while it was at practice. I don't don't know. Look, was that true or not? I mean, I've heard those stories. I don't know if that's an exaggeration. But we know it was traumatic enough that guys were freaking out. So It was an awful injury. Right. You're... Like, I don't even know why it took me so long, but sometimes I don't mind absolute desperation by teams at that position. And I'm not calling the Saints move desperation at all. So don't, don't get me wrong there. But like, think how you must feel right now if you're a fan base of one of the few teams. Like, it's one thing to have a young guy that you don't know if he stinks yet. So that's at least hope. But think about the team about to kick it off this weekend with no hope at the position. It's an awful well, feeling.
1: It's an awful feeling. And think about Buffalo that made the playoffs last year and they're just kind of thinking we are rebuilt we are we are retooling we are still in search of our quarterback is going to go start ahead of the number 1 overall pick in the draft if there's any team that could ever legitimately say we're going to throw the number 1 overall pick and it's starting quarterback in the history of this league it's the browns because it can't get worse they are 1 and 31 in their last 2 years there's no no more, uh, more no more comfortable situation to lose games. Losing is never comfortable, obviously, but okay, if the, if the rookie quarterback comes in and is terrible, that's okay because that's what all they've seen for two years. There's no franchise they keep above water here right now. Buffalo's quarterback, who got them to the playoffs, who won a playoff game, or almost won a playoff game, excuse me, Buffalo's quarterback is starting for that team ahead of a number one overall pick. I know why they're doing it. But that's my point. So you're Buffalo. You went to the playoffs, and now you've got a guy who, in one quarter, obviously not ready for the stage, you know, had all those picks, and then you've got a first round pick who hasn't played against top level competition and is trying to figure out. We think he's going to be good. We think he's going to be able to throw it a long way when it's 28 degrees and blowing 50 miles an hour in Orchard Park, but we don't know. So you talk about sapping hope going into a season. That's the one The one out of all of those for me that I go, man, if I'm a Bills fan, I'm just wondering what, what's happening, what are we doing? You know? And what they're doing is they got to the playoffs, they got a little bit of sugar, and in my opinion, they're going to stick to we need to build for the long term. But they, like Denver, like those other teams, are in search of. That's why you're fascinated about Garoppolo and San Francisco. Um, and that's why the golf thing with the Rams is turned to, okay, let's put all the chips in and get every piece we can and go for it right now because that's what Philadelphia did and they won. And the Rams, when you go through their EBS and the guys up front, uh, you could get 10 sacks, Ryan, with uh, the interior pass rush they're going to get. You know, th- think about the outside wow. guy on that team. Think about Donald and Sue with that push up the middle. If I put you outside, especially because you don't miss arm day, you could get 10 sacks. You really could. <laughs>
0: uh, you know, we didn't even touch on the Rams here. And, I mean, the the other moral of this whole story is how ridiculous the NFC feels right now, at least on paper. Yes. Um, yes, it does. Right. I mean, I have a hard time getting to the third team in the AFC sometimes after Pittsburgh and well, New England.
1: Yeah. Who, I was going to say, would you slot Pittsburgh ahead? of? Let's say, let's say you believe, and we don't know about Le'Veon Bell as we talk here. Let's say you believe that Pittsburgh is the second best AFC team, which I think, if you were forced to wager, most people would say, "Okay, you know, I know Jacksonville's coming, but hey, on uh, paper, I might
0: like them better than New England." I just, I don't like the personality of that team. That team, right. And this is nothing new for anyone listening to me. I just go, you know, you know, I'm pretty forgiving about. Okay. That's probably not that big of a deal. Like I can downplay stuff almost to the point of being inaccurate at times where I'm like, maybe I should have thought that was a bigger deal, but every year with them, it feels like, why do I love you so much on paper? And you guys can't get out of your own way because of these personalities. So
1: at, uh, at, at times. So, so let me, let me throw this to you because it's your podcast. If you, if I'm going to give you NFC teams, I'll tell you which ones I'll give you Philly, Atlanta, New Orleans, Minnesota, the Rams. Would you say those are the top five NFC teams? Do you want to put Green Bay in there? The Let me Bay just do this five? again.
0: So Philly, Philly Minnesota. Nobody else in the
1: east. Minnesota, right. nobody else in the north for now on yep. my list. Yep. Atlanta, New Orleans in the south. The okay. Rams in the west.
0: So that's five.
1: Is there anybody else in the NFC you would put uh, ahead of those five teams?
0: I don't think I would. I mean, the Rodgers factor alone, you feel like they're good for nine or ten wins. But I, I noticed the Vegas number on that. I think it's right at nine and a half. So they're not telling oh, you they love. True. They love Green Bay other than
1: Rodgers. But right. So you know, Green, Green Bay, and like you said, there'll be a surprise. Will the Giants with Odell and Saquon and Evan Ingram and Eli? Will I they love have their weapons. I mean, Evan yeah. Ingram's.
0: I mean, I, that guy's going to be wide open all season. You would imagine he's going he wide be. open
1: all he season. Should, he should be, and there may be light boxes to run. and There, there could be a, some interesting stuff with the Giants. I know Rodney Harrison, who I'm working with on Football Night in America, He, he Rodney likes them a lot. I can see why people like them. But well, let's just say that's our group of five, okay, for the NFC, and you can make an argument on your sixth, and you're going to put New England in there with them and say, those are the six teams that are the velvet rope teams. Those are the teams we think are VIP access right now. Is Pittsburgh better in your mind right now than any of those six teams? Yeah,
0: I actually do think you can make an argument for Pittsburgh at least being there with the Rams, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I mean that more as, like, I look at some correction stuff, right? I remember Barnwell wrote about Carson Wentz, red zone numbers. I think it's 22 touchdowns, zero picks, and there's and and he does a really good job with this stuff it's like this is amazing what's traditionally repeatable and you go you know what and we both know this like the turnover stuff every team that has a ton of turnover it's just it. you can't sustain that you can't be like oh we're always going to have more turnovers we're going to be on the plus side every single year that's unpredictable it's not consistent it doesn't always carry over the red zone efficiency that we had with Wentz in Philadelphia like I worry about that I worry about some of the deep stuff with Watson where despite more picks than you'd think he was incredible is there a correction there and the Rams had other than Jacksonville I think you could make arguments, gains, loss. They had incredible health. And when I worry about the Herm Edwards rule, where I think he used to say, give me four jerks, or maybe it was five. He's like, I'm going to take four. He'd be like, I can take four. I can't take five. I'll take – give me four. I used to tell Tony, give me four. I'll take four jerks. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if the Rams are – are overserved when it comes to that there, so I do think on paper and I worry about pittsburgh's defense and and it just it felt like they were heading into a great situation with their front seven of of having more depth and it and it hasn't really worked out that way for for a million different reasons, but I don't think pittsburgh is is standing outside all night long at the at the lower end of that five. It sounds like we disagree Fair.
1: no 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 i i I think the bell factor is big. I, I really do because everybody was expecting you know, – I, I hate, to, hate to use the line, but everybody was expecting him to walk through that door. And when he's not, Le'Veon Bell is not walking through that door. If James Connors having this great preseason – People yeah, are but excited you're for right. him, rude for yeah, him. But, He's, but stop. Le'Veon Bell's <laughs> different. He's a different <laughs> right. dude, man. He's different, you know? Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah you <laughs>
0: should have to quantify like <laughs> all of these different things. Like, I understand exactly what you're saying. We're like, yeah, it's a great story, awesome, good for James Conner. It's Le'Veon Bell we're talking about. So, right,
1: exactly. So, so did they become a different team? And that, that is an unknown. But once, you, once holdouts start to dip into the regular season, then, then you start to get a little bit more concerned about about how it's going to play out. So it's it's a and the reason I bring all of that up is back to your original question, which we've uh, which we've done a really circuitous route around. You don't know who those teams are going to be who are going to come out of nowhere. And there's a team that we haven't discussed that likely will be nobody talked about Tennessee last year. Tennessee ended up in the final eight. Tennessee was in the final eight. And let go of their coach, you know. So Jacksonville was a quarter away from getting to the Super Bowl by winning in Foxborough. What if what if they come back? What if they, what if Jalen Ramsey you know, can write the check that his mouth is trying to you know, or can catch the check his mouth is trying to write? Uh, what if he plays out of his mind? What if his defense is as good as we think it can be? Cause they got some people. The defense
0: about, to me, you know, like their defense. Of all the things I think I know, I would put Jacksonville's defense as a thing that I go, okay, they'll that part will be fine. But that
1: would be a good that would be a good ranking for you for anybody any week. Like the right instead of ranking teams or you know power, rank the five things you know in the NFL week to week. It'd be very fascinating. Like I agree with you. I feel like the Minnesota defense would be one of the five things I know. Uh, Tom Brady's completion percentage above seventy. One of the five things I know. Uh, Jacksonville's defense is right there with that. I, I couldn't agree with him more. And I think that's going to carry them uh, a long, a long long way. I've, I'm a, you know, they're two Syracuse guys, so I'm suckers for them. But I believe in Coughlin's tone and I believe in the structure of the organization. And I don't think Doug Marone's getting enough credit. Um, it's not like Tom Coughlin's handing out all the discipline there. Doug's got a toughness to him and an edge to him uh, that demands that kind of ball and that kind of performance as a club. I think he's a he's a pretty perfect fit with Tom and for this young team. Even though we've seen a guy, you know, every time a guy steps into the uh, left lane a little too far, they buzz him back into that middle lane really quickly. They you know, suspend the guy for you know commenting on a practice fight, you know, or the media guy who reported on the practice fight. Come on, really? Yeah, they're just telling you, hey, look, look you, you gotta stay in your lane here somewhere. Um, I just believe in that team a lot, and I I, I hesitate. To say this out loud, but I might say they're the second best team in the AFC without Le'Veon Bell there in Pittsburgh. And I know what you're going to say to me: you really trust Blake Bortles, and that's why I'm not sure. But if he plays well, I think I think they've got they've got a lot of the answers to the question.
0: I think we just did a pretty quick, kind of unpredictable, or at least not planned NFL preview. So I, oh, I like what that we it was? did. Yeah, I think we did it because I have two things that I have to get from you. I know you're going to run here, so I have two things. Your daughter may be a great segment producer because (laughs) I've been thinking about doing this for the podcast for a while, and you know me enough that I was like, "Uh uh-oh, what's this story going to be? And you're like, oh, Riscilla's a jerk again. And then I go, oh, my God, like, (laughs) Tarico's daughter and I are on the same same (laughs) mental plane here because I've been thinking a great segment would be, in three years, who's the best NFL quarterback? And it's... It's it's a lot harder than I, I don't I've I've done it in my head you know look you're in traffic out here a lot so I'm I'm doing a lot of producing that doesn't go anywhere but I go you know if I was still with Van Pelt or something right now or maybe filling in with Torico I'd go let's do this and you could make the whole show about it you know you do one I mean, of those slow August Wednesdays. I I don't have the answer to it. It's an incredible no. exercise. In 3 years, who's the best quarterback in the NFL and would right. it be any of the names that we'd be thinking of today?
1: Yes, I still think Aaron Rodgers will be at the top of this game. But it's a great question because you think Brady at some point at some point, you know, it will you know, be 44. Maybe- I mean, <laughs> Right at some point, at some point reality might set in here, right? Uh, but He'll end up in some government
0: lab underneath a waterfall being dissected <laughs> if he's still playing like this at forty-four. Okay,
1: very well done, Breeze, Breeze is probably going to be at the end or towards the end, maybe still. But you're not going to invest it at that point. Um, you know what's what kind of team is Patricia going to build around Stafford? Matthews thirty this year. He's he's a darn good quarterback. He's the toughest, athletic, physical. Arm strength combination guy, he's better than his results have been. I don't know if he's ever going to get the team to show that, but man, I, if he gets a running game, that guy goes to a different level. I, he was awesome I've seen last most year. Most of his games, awesome uh, he, last he's year. He's been awesome last couple yeah. of years, and I don't yeah. think he gets the credit. But You're right. It's a fascinating. It's a fascinating conversation. Like, okay, Carson Wentz, this is great. This is terrific. Are the guys who run these RPOs and just get hit a little bit? Deshaun Watson. I'm so excited to see him healthy. Are they going to stay healthy? Are, can you do this stuff? The, the, the league, has, this is my theme to watch this year and next. The league has changed. The quarterback mobility is almost a must. There's very, a very small list of quarterbacks who drop straight back now and are findable in the pocket. Don't extend plays. Don't have the wrinkle of an RPO that gives you easy access completions. This is the trend because it's college ball and now it's trending to the NFL because you can't find a, a drop back five, seven, seven step quarterback in the NFL in a college game. So you can't get them. But now you've got transition because still to this day, if you run too much, the defensive guys in this league break you. They are bigger and faster and stronger and they hit you more often. So you can't be that college legend in the pros People say, oh, you should do this, you should do this. Okay, great. The guys don't last. Wentz got hurt. Deshaun Watson got hurt. Can they become great quarterbacks and still maintain a little bit of mobility? That's Aaron Rodgers does it, but guess what? He's gotten hurt for the last four years, right? So we got to figure out where that is to keep these great quarterbacks upright. And that's the fascinating turn as we evolve into this generation of NFL quarterback play. It's a whole separate pod. I think it's awesome. It's a great topic. And I will download it and listen to it on some elliptical.
0: Do you have a guess right now? If you just have to, you don't have to give me an expansive answer because that was early. I'm still grade. giving you
1: Rodgers. I'm still giving Rodgers. you Rodgers. I it's... still, I still, I, is there one quarterback that you would rather watch play right now other than Aaron Rodgers?
0: No, but the other guy that I like watching play just a little bit, like the reason, was it was it all of us in Fort Worth? And we were sitting there. Was you, me, Dilfer, maybe even Stanford, Steve, and we yeah. watched that Rogers throw in the back of the end zone. I think yeah. it was the Cowboys Absolutely. and it was the Dez catch. And percent to sit there with Dilfer and watch Rogers throw. Not that I couldn't figure out without Dilfer how great Rogers was, but that right. was so much fun. We're sitting in there in that little bar restaurant area during the day because yeah. I think we had to move to Fort Worth for thirty days for the college football playoff. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I've spent exactly. more time in Fort Worth than any, than I ever would have thought imaginable. Like I I think I and just it's slept a, it's there. A good town. It's a good town. It is town. a good town. Sundance Square, it's little, but that was a long. I think it was a nine day stretch we were there. But um <laughs> that that you're right. The Rogers thing, the the arm strength. It's the greatest arm talent I've ever seen at the position. Does it mean he's the best overall? I didn't want to do that. I think Russell Wilson be a sneaky pick, but for me to say okay, in three no. years he turns thirty in November. I do like watching him probably as much as anybody. I don't think there's ever been a gap as a guy that I like to watch and listen to less than, than Russell Wilson, the gap between those two categories. But I just go, Hey, Ryan, are you serious? Like you think of Russell Wilson at 33, not that that's old, but like he will be the best quarterback in the NFL. I think a lot of people would listen to this and they'd say Wentz. They'd say they would try to pick the guy that's the next guy, and you might be better off just mm-hmm. picking a vet who's in his 30s, maybe Matt Ryan at 36, yeah. who I think is still, he gets dumped on a lot because of them missing out. All right, before I let you go.
1: Two, well, two, two things. Shame on me for forgetting Russell Wilson in terms of the mobile quarterbacks. He's the one mobile quarterback who's figured out how to get down, how to get out of bounds, how to not get He's incredible, to man. He, he's, he's incredible. He's so cerebral and so good. So uh, sh- shame on me for that. And good point about Matt Ryan too. He's one of those drop back guys with enough mobility, but not the Rodgers like mobility. So it's, it's the most fascinating position in pro sports. And I love how it defines franchises. How the real, co- not made up, garbage conversation of you know LeBron or Kobe who's great. You know, real, exo philosophical conversations about quarterbacks are, I think, the most. Intriguing to listen to intelligent people talk about in any sports conversation. So I, it's fascinating. I can't wait to li- make sure you do this podcast and text me when you're going to do it because I want to listen to it.
0: All right. Yeah. Because I want to, I want to really dig into it and maybe I'll have like a, just a bunch of people. I don't know. Producing's tough, though, so I don't want to make some Rudy's day worse. Be like, "Hey, get twenty guys to give me their pick, and then we'll just tape it all and put it together." Okay, before we let you go, a lot of Tarico yeah, love yeah. over the weekend. It was beginning of the season. Reminder again, man, this guy's really good. If you could only call one sport, what would it be?
1: Football. Uh, I love golf. I, I miss basketball terribly. Like the I last bet, yeah, years, I imagine. First, first time in my life, I I miss it terribly. It's just it's the job, and you know, they, I don't know I'm going to tell you that you know, hosting the Olympics was worth not having basketball in my life. I'll tell you, yes, it it was worth it because hosting the Olympics is, you know, only a few of us have been blessed to do it. And it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible experience. But I miss, I miss the gym. I miss sitting in the first row. I miss picking up screens. I miss seeing guys get open for shots. Um, but if you gave me one, I love calling football games. It's the, it's such a great challenge. Um, I love the preparation still. Like we uh, get ready for Ball State Notre Dame this week. You know, not not the same kind of game as Michigan Notre Dame, but I'm excited to still dig for nuggets on Ball State players, and that just it just fits my mind, it fits my approach. And uh, if there's one sport, whether it's college or pro, that's the one I'm going to miss doing the full season of NFL this year. Uh, but I'll still have these seven Notre Dame games. And uh, that's good. That's good. I, that's what I enjoy the most. That's what uh, my happy preparation for workplaces is. And uh, let's good to thing for Ball State Cardinals. Jason Whitlock, former Ball State offensive lineman. There you go.
0: I don't have a Whitlock segment there, so I don't <laughs> – I don't – I was afraid, like, I don't know what, we, which, what's going to happen here. Which
1: is this for, by the way? Which one of your 38 employers? is, is, this, this, uh, is, is, is this, uh, this is for ESPN.
0: Oh, this is for ESPN. Yeah, I only have two. Oh.
1: I, don't, um, you know, i I'm really happy for you. By the way, I mean, like, super, super happy for you. The role that the roles that you're going to have now, um, like your your basketball passion and knowledge, is so good. I always wished it was on our NBA stuff more when we were all together at ESPN. And I think the fact that you're going to have, you know, this outlet in you know in a hoops-driven hoops mentality uh, company with Bill stuff and more ESPN stuff. I think it's just great. So I'm really fired up for you and fired up for me as a Hoop fan. So congrats on that, man.
0: Yeah, that's the hope that we'll start um working on trying to... You know, the weird thing about a radio show is it's great and it's awesome and it, it meant so much to have my name on my own show, but it's really time-consuming. And so when there's these really <laughs> other things that happen and you go, well, I'd like to do that, and they'd be like, well, no, you have your radio show, remember? So I do think, and I'm hoping with some of the new NBA stuff that we have at ESPN because you know how much I love it, and... Uh I'd I'd like to be you know, I'd like to be involved in some of this stuff. So we'll uh, I'll keep you posted on that. But look, as a guy that you already know the story, you know how much you mean to me as a friend and a guy to work with, so I don't want to make it sappy here, but uh yeah, I really appreciate talk. the time.
1: Anytime, let's do it more often and uh, I'll see you when I get out to LA. You're buying dinner now that you're a LA media star.
0: Well, no, I don't have the expense account we have those network guys have, so I'm not sure about if okay. I'm gonna pay for
1: that. Right? <laughs> you got it. Be great, pal. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, Mike Tarico, NBC Sports, Notre Dame coverage and everything else that's awesome and the guy that, uh, I consider a friend. So that's cool. Okay. Let's get to all this coaching stuff. This is the thing I've wanted to do here for a while. Okay. I want to do a really, really deep dive on all the Harbaugh stuff and kind of, kind of take that out a little bit further, right? Stretch, stretch this thing here. And so I'm going to go here for a bit, Saruti. So for huge Saruti fans, I, I'm sorry that you probably feel a little limited today. All right. You okay? Um, We're good. I got my word on the first part. All right. Very good. Very good. Very good. Okay. So here's the deal. Harbaugh, everybody's against him, and I get it. Okay? Harbaugh is the guy that borrows 20 bucks from you and then tells you he paid you back, and you know he didn't pay you back, but he may think he actually paid you back. Right? Harbaugh, you'd be like, Harbaugh... Jim, you you owe me 20 bucks. I gave you two Thursday the other night. We were at the kebab place. And he'd be like, no, you didn't. And he'd be like, yes, Jim, I gave you 20 bucks. And then you'd be like, Jim, were you, were you drunk? And then Jim would say, I don't get drunk. Booze doesn't affect me. Like I think there are things about Jim that are difficult. We know the backstory and Wickersham did a thing on him years ago that was incredible in this profile and that he can Start to rub people in the building the wrong way, but I've always felt he is a brilliant football coach. And right now, especially after the first week loss at Notre Dame, where it looked like a complete disaster and they look like they're terrible on offense again, the carryover of is Jim Harbaugh actually good and look at Brady Hoke and his record is the exact same thing over the first four years, blah, 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 all these things. People are anti Jim and they're anti Jim because he came in with a lot of bluster. Okay. If you're going to be good in, um, if you're going to be quiet and average, you're going to get a lot less criticism than average, at least for Michigan, even though the record's not average, but average to the sense of what their expectations were and him coming in, puffing at his chest, who's got it better than us, right? All that Harbaugh stuff. But let's really dig into this whole thing, okay? Harbaugh's resume is incredible. The San Diego Toreros, good luck finding any of that stuff, but he won there, okay? Everybody always, oh, San Diego. People always have to remind themselves, oh, it's not San Diego State. It's that other one. It's San Diego. He goes to Stanford, and I've seen people argue this, be like, well, how good was he actually at Stanford? Stanford. Do you know how bad Stanford was before Harbaugh got there? Let's take a look back post-Willingham at 2002 to 2006. Yeah, we're talking Buddy Tevens and Walt Harris, okay? Those 5 years old B Tevens went 2 and 9, 4 and 7, 4 and 7, and then Walt Harris got things turned around and went 5 and 6, and then oh, in 2006 he went 1 and 11. That's the program that Jim Harbaugh took over at Stanford. 1 and 11 to then Harbaugh goes 4 and 8 to 5 and 7 to 8 and 5 to 12 and 1. Stanford went from 1 and 11 against Stanford, the farm, Palo Alto, the home of Stanford Steve, his formative years. I've been there. It's amazing, but it's also not a football place. People are like, "Are you can really going to win out here?" And yes, they've had the stuff Walsh in the back and Willingham and look, they've they've never it's not like Stanford's never won a game ever here. Okay, it's not like Baylor for those weird stretches. But he went and took a program that was 1-11 and turned it into 12-1 and and number four in the final AP poll. And in that moment, no one had a problem with that. Everybody thought it was amazing. But what happened was because David Shaw stayed on, and we all love David Shaw, and we think he's amazing, and Shaw's kept it rolling, that somehow we've wanted to do this thing where we've now downgraded Harbaugh's success in a miraculous turnaround at a place that seems to be impossible to get all the best athletes into because of the academic requirements, where Stanford really is one of those schools who go, hey, that's cool that he runs, it's cool that he catches, but we just don't care We've tried to downgrade Harbaugh's turnaround at the place because Shaw has also been good. Here's an exercise, and I know it's going to blow your freaking minds, but this can be true. Harbaugh's turnaround at Stanford is incredible and proves he's a great football coach. And David Shaw is also awesome. It doesn't have to be, folks. One or the other. Both can actually be true. So then we see that Harbaugh gets to all these NFC Championship games is a throwaway from winning a Super Bowl. So you have the San Diego, the, the, the turnaround at Stanford, success in the NFL. All of these things are amazing. You're like, dude, this guy kind of wins wherever he goes, even if he annoys the hell out of people. So then he goes to Michigan. And Brady Hoke, who everybody seems to want to try to do this numerical argument that it's the same now with Hoke as it, or it's the same now with Harbaugh as it was with Hoke, when it's like, dude, as soon as you say that, we're done. Hoke went 11 and 2 in a weird year, okay, in his first year at Michigan, um, beating Ohio State in 2011, and I'm going to get to that here in a second. And then Hoke went 8 and 5, 7 and 6, and 5 and 7. Okay. Hoke beat Ohio State one time, and that was the 2000, again eleven season where Luke Fickle was 6-7. and seven. So the one disastrous season for Ohio State, that's when Hoke got him. That's when Michigan gets him. And by the way, for all the concern about Harbaugh not being the rivals, look, the Penn State, Michigan State stuff, I don't have a lot for you right now. The Michigan State games could have gone either way. The Ohio State thing, okay, fine, he's 0-3. We'll get to that here in a second. But guess what, Michigan fans? You don't beat Ohio State no matter who's the head coach. You've beaten him once since 2003, Every other year Ohio State has beaten you, I know 2010 was vacated, whatever, they still beat you. The only time since 2003 a Michigan team, no matter who the coach was, has beaten Ohio State was when Luke Fickle was in charge and that one... Super non-Ohio State year. So Harbaugh comes in as three games against the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes have been ranked number eight, number two, and number nine. The best result was that game in double overtime, the loss at Columbus in 2016. Now here's the other incredible thing. I am going to defend Harbaugh and make a make a great argument, and I already have convinced you, so I don't even need to do much more. But I'm going to keep making such a great argument for you. But then I'm also not going to say that the spot against Ohio State was a terrible spot, like the way Harbaugh did, or that when I went back and watched the game on YouTube and it was posted by a Michigan fan's being like, here we go, we got screwed again. I actually think the spot was right. I'm going to go through it again. So I'm going to defend Harbaugh, but I'm also not going to use flawed logic to try to make my point even stronger, even if I wanted to do that because I'm not anti-ref guy. But in that game against Ohio State, you are going to remember, they're up a field goal at that point. Ohio State is looking at it 4th and 1, and by the way, prior to that play, I don't know if people remember this, it was 3rd and 9 from the 24 in the 2nd overtime. Curtis Samuel in the flat to the right, he actually went backwards, ran into his own offensive lineman, and went backwards to the 33 of Michigan. So remember, they started at the 24, he goes backwards 9 yards and made it to the 16 to make it 4th and 1. That play was so incredible. If he's tackled at any point, they don't convert on the 4th down. We could be talking about Michigan at least being in the playoff. I mean, you can do this game where it's like, ah, well, coulda, shoulda, wouldn't. No, no, we're talking about seriously a fourth down stop away from Michigan in Harbaugh's run there being in the playoff. And that's the other thing is people are talking about Harbaugh like it's never even been close. And, yeah, it was kind of close that year. And I know that's not good enough for a Michigan man. I get your standards and all those different things. But that wasn't even a bad spot. I thought that JT Barrett on the fourth and one sneak where he runs into his own player and falls backwards, it looks worse because he falls backwards, but I actually thought the ball touched the plane in the first down mark to gain with the right arm. So I'm not even making that an excuse to defend Harbaugh. But that's my point, is that Hoke had it going in the wrong direction. Okay, This is not what you'd normally expect from Harbaugh because of all the other things that he's done. But it's a little bit closer than I think people are giving him credit for, and you don't beat Ohio State no matter who's there. So, yes, it's weird that a guy that got a lot more out of Alex Smith turned Kaepernick into a guy that we thought was going to change the game. Even had a weird Jake Rudock season where after he transferred from Iowa, you're like, oh, my God, this is really good. And even Wilton Spate going back two years ago in 2016, it was actually pretty good. But I watched Spate in Michigan last year. The red zone stuff was terrible. Spate regressed. They used Three different quarterbacks last year, O'Korn, and then it was like, no, Brandon Peters will solve all these problems, and none of them did. And I don't know if it's all on the players. I think, yes, some of it is on the red zone stuff, and they started to get a little tricky. So to see him lose his touch with quarterbacks last year and have it be so apparent, have him suck so bad in the red zone. And I went back and looked at those red zone numbers, okay? Their red zone scoring, overall scoring, so field goals and touchdowns, they were 68th. They had five passing touchdowns in the red zone as a team Michigan five total passing touchdowns in the red zone Georgia Tech of all teams had five passing touchdowns in the red zone and that's not something I expected so to see it again in week one with Patterson who's not a great fit stylistically I say it over and over and over again watching him at Ole Miss thinking of him in Harbaugh's offense Harbaugh is going to have to adapt to Peterson's or excuse me Patterson's talents a little bit better than he has at least based on week one. But I'll even admit, like when I look at Dylan McCaffrey, who's a four-star kid, LSU, Stanford, Penn State, UCLA, all these other schools offered McCaffrey to come play quarterback there, that it felt a little bit more Harbaugh-ish. So, in summation, yes, if you win at San Diego, turn Stanford into Stanford, coach a Super Bowl in a bunch of NFC title games, and then as as San Francisco starts to fall off after one of the worst off-seasons a team could ever have, you can't, You can't show up on campus, sleepovers, who's got it better than us, rap video, all of this stuff, and then lose to your rivals. I understand the frustration, but if you're in the camp that's going, Harbaugh just isn't that good and he was always overrated, then again, we can't be friends. So that led to this, and I'll finish up here in a few minutes, but it's just the thought of who's good. Because if we're doing this thing where Harbaugh may not be the guy, then then I kind of give up. We know Sabin, we know Urban, and I would put Dabo with what he has going down to Clemson there too. I love Shaw, but like there's different tiers here, okay, and I don't want to just give it to all the guys that have a title, but if you think of all these names in college football that have been almost the wrong guy, but then maybe is he good like Gus Malzahn's a perfect example of this at Auburn. No one gives Gene Chizik credit for winning that 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 national title with with Cam Newton. Because it was, oh, well, Gus was the guy. Gus leaves, and they're like, well, we got to get Gus back. He's really the guy that won the national championship. They play in another national championship against Florida State, a game they very well could have won. The first year, Gus is back on the plains. And yet the entire time, it's like, well, is Gus any good? You're like, man, Gus is pretty good. Gus is pretty good, but he was on the hot seat. People thought maybe he was going to go back to Arkansas. They beat Bama last year, and then guess what? He gets a contract extension. He gets about $50 bucks. But the people down in Auburn, like – there's there's unhappy fan bases, and then there's Auburn. Auburn never ever seems to be happy. He's two and three against Bama. If Les Miles won forty percent of his games against Alabama, there'd be a statue of Les Miles that Les Miles would walk past on his way to work outside of Tiger Stadium because he'd still have the job. So that that Gus thing to think and how good they look now too to think that he was somebody that a lot of Auburn fans were like, oh, I don't know, man. Can we do a little bit better than this? Like, that's insane to me as an outsider. And the SEC, as we know, it's its own unique mess. There's six teams with new coaches, Arkansas, Florida, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Tennessee, A&M, all for different reasons. And yet, you know, LSU, I look at them and go, if Coach O, despite how good they looked, and Burrow looks like a real quarterback and a guy who can make audibles at the line of scrimmage for LSU, which I feel like, and I was making a joke with um, one of my LSU friends who I'm not going to name, who, Brandon Landry, Um, I don't know why I did that. It wasn't even a funny joke, but Joe Burrow made it. He made an audible at the line of scrimmage and it worked on that big run for Bro. Uh, the, so, but, but still, like, we all know what's going to happen with Ogeron here if it doesn't work out this season and it looks disastrous or if they're shut out by Alabama again. So the SEC has all these fan bases that are impossible to deal with. Okay. So then you start going around and looking at Gus getting his money. And all of the changeover in general. And ESPN the magazine has it in their Saban piece. That's really really good. But there's this graphic: the eleven years before Saban was hired at Alabama. So his first season, two thousand seven, lost to Louisiana Monroe. People actually made jokes about Saban and be like, "Oh, this guy, the guy that sucked with the Dolphins, lose Louisiana Monroe." Like, (laughs) yeah, right. Your problems are solved. Oops. But the eleven years before that, power five tenure for coaches. So how long did they have their job? The stat was six point two seven years okay so you if you were a power five head coach in college football just to repeat this because it's important you had your job for six point two seven years the 11 years since Saban's been hired down in Tuscaloosa the average tenure for the head coach in a power five conference is three point seven five years that is a massive differential in what is a very usually math isn't that clear Like, there, there's little fractions of change. You go, oh, this is a trend or it's heading in this direction. It's almost three years less and three years less. And you could say, well, maybe it's – well, a lot of it is the money. We're paying you even more money and we're paying more into the facilities and we're doing all these things that I've talked about before. But a lot of that is, hey, look at all this money. Let's just spend it so we don't have to give to the employers. And yet, because of that money – and this is the dumbest part about the whole thing. You pay these guys all this money, then you have to pay in the buyouts. But because you're paying them that much more money, you, th- you feel like you're that much more empowered to fire these guys. So that's kind of insane in itself. Okay, how about Sumlin? Let's talk about another coach. When he was at A&M, people were actually trying to say A&M was cooler than Texas and they were going to start running recruiting. And yes, they had a helicopter, and yes, he had the hashtag, and yes, he had the Adidas deal and all that stuff, and Manziel's lighting it on fire. And now guess what? Sumlin, who at one point got so much extra money and all of this money tacked on and guaranteed to his contract, Track because of the threat of him going somewhere else whether it was USC or the NFL because those threats were real and now someone loses his first game at Arizona after he's bounced from a a place that supposedly he was going to run the state of Texas in and now he's at Arizona they lose to BYU and there's a bunch of Arizona fans going eh, is this really going to be awesome and here's the point is I'm telling you I don't know I don't know if Kevin Sumlin is great but what my I tend to do is if you're really good at some point, then that means you're probably good at being a coach. And you can run it can run its course in the boosters. And the boosters are scarier than anybody else because their voice actually matters because the name is actually attached to a check. But the point that I consistently like if you're gonna do this, ah uh, Harbaugh may suck, ah uh, gus may suck, ah, uh, someone may suck. Is it, is it, is that true? Cause it probably isn't. It's probably cause we suck when we talk about these guys. Jimbo Fisher. I don't even know in the moments of all of the time he was flirting with LSU or he was gonna bounce cause it went on for like two years down there in Tallahassee were Florida State fans even bummed at the prospects of losing Jimbo? Because it felt like it went a little stale despite a national championship and a playoff appearance that everybody felt like was a massive disappointment. Like, to me, if you're making the playoff, that's that's great. That is an accomplishment, even if it's disappointing that you lose earlier than you did the year before, okay? But he leaves and now after the Tagger thing, after again one week, so let's not freak out too much, but do you, if you're a Florida State fan and you're being honest with yourself that you were indifferent to Jimbo at the end, cause you're like, ah, we can do better than this. Are you sure? Are you sure you're gonna do better than Jimbo? And Jimbo's contract, by the way, at Texas A&M, 75 million over 10 years, fully guaranteed. And we learned that there's zero buyout. Zero. So if somebody else wants to hire Jimbo, they don't even have to pay A&M anything. And A&M had to pay 5 million to Florida State just to get him out of there. Tom Herman, he must suck now too, right? Okay, so one year, seven and six, yes. We get that it's Texas, it's this image, great job on social media with all this stuff. How do you lose to Maryland? Not just the first time, but the second time, and it kind of didn't feel like a fluke in that first week, but I don't. I wouldn't sit here and be like, oh, this guy's not all that. Oh, he can't really deliver. I think we've become insane about what our expectations are for what a coach is supposed to look like, especially when we know it looks even worse in that first week. We know this about Herman as well. He won a national title with three different quarterbacks, and people even last year were arguing when JT Barrett struggled with deep balls and Urban didn't seem to have the offense going the same way, that maybe Urban was a product of Tom Herman and that Herman was really the guy and that Ohio State missed him and Urban wasn't all that anymore. These were real conversations being had not just on twitter not just on message boards but by people that i respect that cover this sport and i'm thinking wait a minute can't urban still be really good and maybe herman's really good and we saw what he done at houston and what he did with florida state and getting those recruits going and then he goes over to texas and yes a stagnant a stagnant program that's below its own expectations in texas went seven and six and that's disappointing can we give the guy more than one year in one game but people don't seem to want to do that. Cliff Kingsbury that might be a little bit different. Into his sixth season we know this. He's hot and he loses to anybody that's good because the record against teams that have um, a rank like a ranking, I think it's now 2 and 20 or 2 and 19 against ranked opponents on Kingsbury And he's lost, I think, 15 or 16 straight games against top 25 teams, which were one of the worst streaks in the entire country. But Kingsbury was someone that we got excited about, right? He gets it. He understands Lubbock. He put up a ton of numbers there. Tech is different because now Tech tech isn't doing the thing that's tough to prepare for that's different than everybody else. Tech is doing the thing they were doing before everyone else, but now everybody else is doing it, so it's not different. And so those two-star kids out of Missouri – it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything anymore because other people are doing it. But here's the thing, man. Cliff, we like him. Super nice. Asked him about disappointment after a few years. But, you know, you don't, you don't beat anybody good. Chip Kelly, they lose their opener against UCLA. He is someone that, and I know the NFL world, you guys are just so frustrating because you don't want anyone to come from college and actually do well in your game because you're super protective of it. But Chip Kelly could have had any college job he wanted. He goes to LA. It's like, look, he's going to get the California athletes, and he was still getting some of those guys up at Oregon, but now they're going to be in his own backyard. And it looked bad that first week, but the NFL ding on Chip has now made him somehow like less of the guy that he was at Oregon, where he gets to one national title and is a really big part of Helfrich getting there so soon that next time, and go back and look at it. Oregon didn't lose a game. They don't have a game. In Chip Kelly's tenure there where you go, how the bleep did they lose that game? He doesn't have one. James Franklin, he had to have Penn State actually give him the vote of confidence publicly two years ago, then they win the Big Ten. People thought Dabo was kind of a joke when he took over as an interim head coach at Clemson. You're like, ah oh, man, that geeky little walk on at Alabama. Eh, we can do better than this. We're Clemson. Guess what? Thank God you never did do better than Dabo because you couldn't. Gundy at Oklahoma State. There's people that go, ah, is this really the best it's going to get? It's Stillwater? Probably is. And you should be psyched because he gets it. He's one of you. And, yes, he can flirt a little bit more and try to get different things and a little bit more money because that's the game for all of us. It's leverage. Does anybody else want to pay you for the thing you're already doing somewhere else? But Gundy is a good coach. And I don't you know, you'll have a point as an Oklahoma State fan where you'll probably say, Man, I miss the Mike Gundy years. Brian Kelly has a ten win season, goes four and eight, everybody says he should be fired, including Feinbaum, who says fire everybody all the time, by the way, and then gets another ten win season last year. So it's ten wins sandwiched around a four and eight year. Guess what? Kelly's a really good coach and Notre Dame consistently has more talent on the field of any Notre Dame tenure post Lou Holtz. Kelly, forget Weiss, forget Davey, forget Willingham, forget anybody else that you want to talk about. Brian Kelly consistently has had more Notre Dame talent than anybody other than Holtz. And I know people don't like him and they can think he's a jerk and he's too mean on his quarterbacks and yes, he's rough on quarterbacks, but it's pretty clear the guy knows what he's freaking doing and we shouldn't be ready to fire him just because Notre Dame had a bad year. I think like, what I'm what I'm trying to express here is that in the moment, it's super easy to get caught up in, oh, this guy's disappointing and all these things because it's your school. It's the one you're watching on Saturday. It's the only one that you truly, really care about. Even though I think college football fans are great and the way NBA fans are great, that you have to worry about everything else that's going on because it can impact you when we're talking about that playoff stuff. But if you're sitting here today saying Harbaugh sucks, are you saying any of these guys suck? Like, Do you really know that or is that just your own disappointment? The Russilla Show podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. Very low on Saruti this week. Saruti's going to be my full-blown guest all next week. Have a great week.